She's April. <laughs> and she's Molly. <laughs> and we are <sighs> the book besties. If you have a child that has been born that was born past 2010 and they're in school, DM us on Book Besties Pod on Instagram, TikTok, email us, fucking explain Ohio. Why is this a joke to them? Yep, so much baby theft, you know. And we kind of already covered that, so. ADHD, baby! Glad I'm not the only one who's wondered about that. Come on over, but go the fuck home. I'm sorry. <laughs> what the hell was that? I'm losing my voice. And I'm a okay, podcaster. Middle schoolers. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Addison. Everyone, please. We have a special guest. I lost my voice last week from dealing with the third graders. So mm. I am doing it is it is building week for Willy Wonka at Livia's middle school. And this woman who is good at props said, you know what? I absolutely love working with children. I'll be more than happy to t- manage 20 of them to make sure they paint, build, and create props perfectly. There were so many lies in that statement. You do not like working with children. <laughs> I am, I tolerate children. You, I love you your kids. Said, you and have said kids. on this podcast, I on multiple occasions, how much you don't like kids. It's not that I don't like kids. It's... If I cannot treat your children the way I treat my children. Just own it. Just You know what I mean? Like, I can talk to April's kids like I talk to my kids because April's kids are well-behaved. And listen, it's the (laughs) children that are free-range, wild little honey badgers that have never had restrictions. Never, ever in their life been told no. I'm telling you, this crop of middle schoolers and high schoolers are feral because of the pandemic. I lost a kid. I lost a kid yesterday. A kid just took off. He said he was going to go to the bathroom. And he just missed never came a back. scene and he never came back. His mom's the fucking nurse. His mom's the fucking school nurse. So he just took off and he's like, it's cool. His mom was looking around the fi- outside mom- of the building looking for him. Molly, That's you're talking terrifying. to a former teacher and a current teacher. And we can both tell you that kids don't just get lost on the way to the bathroom. They get lost on the way from the pencil sharpener back to their seat. They, he so- just took off. Why? Why? What? You've been in this building for nine plus hours. What is exciting about it? What? What is so mystical about this fucking smelly place? He doesn't know why he did it. He That's an excellent point. Seized by the urge to wander off. Why uh, not? Not all who wander are lost, Molly. No, they're just teenage boys with ADHD. Yep. <laughs> Uh, ADHD, baby! ADHD, baby! Uh, How was your week, Addison, since I am sitting here just griping? You know, the same. The same as yours. It sounds fantastic. (laughs) I got 26, 7, and 8-year-olds, so it's... Right, but, I mean, like, aren't they, like, English second language kids? Yes. So you could you you have a little bit more leeway with grace than I do, I think. <laughs> yes. Oh, definitely, definitely. But sometimes they know that and they use it to their advantage. You know. Oh, facts. I just didn't. I didn't understand. Oh, yeah. I'm so sorry. So sorry. No. Yeah, no. I don't They're know so smart. Word. They so fast, but they, you know, a couple a, of them kind of take it as an excuse to check out. I totally had a, a coasty friend that used to do that. 
Anytime they got in trouble, they'd be like, I'm so sorry. I didn't know that was an English word. What <laughs> English word is that? Yep. There's Honey, more you speak to English it. more fluently than you do Spanish. Nice try. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they're a good yeah. group. They're a good group. Just very high energy. Yeah, um, I do not miss being in the classroom. I really love being a public librarian now where I can like literally have the kids for 30 minutes, at, maybe an hour at a time, but their parents are there and then they go the fuck home. Yeah, nice and bite <laughs> Go the fuck home. That should be the mantra awesome. of the library. Come on over, but go the fuck home. <laughs> what you say, Addison? I'm oh, that I say the same thing, but then as soon as I am out of the classroom, I miss it so much. So for some reason, I keep, you know, will continue to subject myself to it. Hey, yes. it's in your heart. There's nothing wrong with that, baby. There's I quit a lot of people that twice, Addison. So I get it. I quit twice. I quit I after mean... six years in the classroom as a high school English teacher, and after two years in a library as a school librarian. Wow, I didn't realize that. Quit yeah. twice. Twice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm so it's in your heart, though, Addison. Like yeah. because I don't have that in me. So I'm yeah. grateful for people like you oh, that you. have the time, effort, and energy and mental capacity to just be like, I'm going to have patience today with strangers' kids. Only with the children, though. Patience <laughs> with adults is zero. No. I concur. Yeah. Hallelujah. Amen. No patience with adults. <laughs> Word. Word. Okay. So if anyone is wondering why we're talking to Addison, like we've already like hung out with her, it's because we have. Or you're like, hey, I really like this book that Addison Armstrong wrote. I'm going to check out this podcast. We met Addison at uh, Annapolis Book Festival in April of this year. And you were there talking about your second book, which is yes. The War Librarian, which is top shelf, everybody. It's this is coming from somebody who does not read historical fiction. So read it. I'm yeah, telling seriously. you it's good. And um, this is coming from the historical fiction person on this podcast. April I feel like it fiction. means more coming from the person that does April not willingly said, read no, it. No, I'm telling my <laughs> historical fiction fans, the ones that came over because we did Discovery and were like, who the fuck is this chick talking shit? This chick that was talking shit loves this book. Once again, loves this book. Once again, Discovery of Witches is historical fantasy, <laughs> not historical fiction. Anyways, Addison, we're so glad you're back. back. I'm okay, so, so glad to be back. Y'all are always a blast. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Those are the we're words. Something. Nice we're something. We're <laughs> something. Um, okay, so we're here to actually talk about your first book, which is this mm-hmm. book, The Light of Luna Park. Look at that cover. Such a good book. Love it. I, okay, so weird little facts about me. Originally, I went to school for journalism and I went to co- entered college in 2000 because I'm old and everything was all the newspapers and magazines were going bust then because guess what had just been invented? The internet. Um, So I was interested in like design, but I didn't want to be a graphic designer. Like I wanted to specifically do design with like um, with newspapers. Mm -hmm. And I actually became a yearbook teacher. That's what kind of teacher I was. And so this is a long way of telling you that I absolutely love fonts. This (laughs) font is so pretty. It's so pretty. That's a it's pretty font, right? I don't see a lot of books with that. No. I love the font. And I, again. I was trying to make the social media post that will go up to advertise this this uh, episode. And I was trying to find a font similar to this. So I was like, it's so pretty. I love that font. Pretty. So good. 
<laughs> yeah, I can't take any Edison's like, covers. Edison's but. like, I'm not giving you away trade secrets. <laughs> <laughs> if I knew, but the covers are out of my domain. I yeah. maybe get veto power. Wait, you That's know it? Me? Really? Yeah. They send it to me. They ask what I think. And if I like it, that's good. If I don't like it, they ask me again. <laughs> Are like you it. sure? Are you sure? Um, maybe yeah, the only maybe thing, take another look. <laughs> yeah. The only thing I had a little bit of leeway for was, was for the light of Luna Park. Um, that is a real picture of Luna Park, but it's mm-hmm. the uh, Chinatown section, which is not nice. at all mentioned or referenced in the book right. or anything. And it was like very clearly an Asian setting. Um, which I just thought was misleading. You know, you can barely see the little Luna in the background, but you could definitely tell that these were uh, like Chinese buildings. And so I said, you know, I said, it kind of looks like it's in like the Pacific theater during the war. Like it Mm -hmm. doesn't really look, Mm -hmm. it's misleading. Someone's going to pick it up, not knowing what it is. Um, And so they dimmed out, they like blurred out the edges. Um, I mean, I mean, I don't want to correct the author here, but I'm going to, because I'm almost certain that at one point you do mention the China downtown person. I very well might. You guys read it. <laughs> I wrote it, you know, years ago. You read it a week ago. So you honestly know what I do. She's like, JK, I probably did. I don't know. That's hilarious. <laughs> She's okay, like, so it's wait, like, where are my notebooks? What year was that? I gotta go to my archives. <laughs> when you were just still a sweet summer child and you were writing this when you were in college, which we're going to talk yeah, more now about. Now yeah, you know, for yeah, four years ago, I'm about to turn 42, and my leg hurts so bad that I want to cry right now instead of be filming this podcast. So, yay. <laughs> um, okay, so anyway, with that said, uh, um, words, hmm. cover. I lost the words. Book. Just, she didn't get a say in the cover. We're gonna go to the synopsis next. I guess we might as well. I, there might have been something else there with the cover. It's brilliant. Oh, I remember. I remember. You know, we always use the phrase "Don't judge a book by its cover," and it's one of those things that we tell kids a lot, right? Don't judge a book by its cover. The publishing industry spends a significant amount of money making sure that you judge books by covers. Mm-hmm. I mean, half of our books on Pod end up on Pod because you, you and I like picked the them by the cover. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I mean that's how me. you can tell what a book is. You know, it's historical fiction. It's got the woman facing away. It's romance. It's got great colors. This wasn't thought out. Of course, this was thought out. That is remarkably bright creatures, which we're doing next week. The bright colors. Yeah. It's also a really nice font. It is a really nice font. <laughs> we need that big orange octopus. Like, but you're, but you're honestly, with the woman on the front does not make me think Tova, though. It's not Tova. We'll talk about that. It's not Tova. Um, Okay. So uh, anyway, can we do a synopsis? Did you want to do the synopsis, Addison, or did you want me to read what I wrote? You go for it. Because clearly you remember the book better than I do. So you're (laughs) the expert here. I'm going to ask you questions. (laughs) She's like, I really came to just um, catch up because it's been a couple months and I really haven't read it, so I'm going to take some notes. <laughs> That's me. Well, if you need to write a sequel, I just finished this book a few days ago, so I'll, I'll help you out. I mean, I, um, I, I right. could help. That seems like a better idea. <laughs> All right, so synopsis for this book, Light of Luna Park. So The Light of Luna Park is the first book by Addison Armstrong, our lovely guest. Uh, this book follows two women in... Oh, man, did you read all my typos on this? That's embarrassing. No. This book follows two women in different times as they embark on a journey to discovery to discover their own strength. Uh, 
Althea is a second-year nursing student in 1926 who has dreamed her whole life about delivering babies. Only Althea's life takes a very sudden turn when she puts her career on the line to save the life of a premature baby named Margaret against the wishes of the attending physician. Althea discovers the wonder of Dr. Cooney, who is saving babies at, of all places, Coney Island by using incubators. Stella is a special education teacher in, 19, in 1950 who is advocating for her students as best she can against a principal who doesn't believe her students should be allowed to receive an education. When Stella begins the arduous task of cleaning out her late mother's apartment, she discovers she may not have known her mother at all. This book looks at the treatment of kids who are seen as unworthy and what was essentially eugenics in the U.S. Be both before and after Hitler. Gross. It is also a story about strength against impossible odds and what it means to be a woman in the 1920s and 1950s. See, that was so much better than I would have said. I would have said, There's, there was this nurse and she went to Coney Island. So kudos. <laughs> that was beautiful. Uh, and did I remember that she was a second year nurse uh, student? Absolutely not. Could not have told you what year she was in. So <laughs> you wrote this a couple years ago. We'll, we'll let it go. Thank you. You're generous. We'll let it go. I mean, we're, we're a little disappointed you didn't bust out your notes and all that jazz in the first draft for us to read, but we'll let it go, I guess, about forgetting. I cannot bear to read it again because every word I cringe. I'm like, I could have made that word a different word. I could have put a comma there. I should have. I can't imagine what that's like as a writer who is constantly changing when I go through. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine so seeing it physically so. in a book and just being like, fuck. Yeah. I can never edit this ever again right this I is not a living document i can't read it like mm -hmm. i i cannot imagine because i cringe when i read shit that i wrote last week so like i can't imagine yeah right so i can't imagine i'm like oh shh mm, no i should have wrote this differently right or, and it's this, very, you know, it's this nuanced thing no one ever would yeah. care about but for you it's like, it's like so it's like yeah. stabbing you in the neck mm -hmm. with yeah. a dull needle so well, I please, do not, please, you know, I will continue please. to forget more and more and more as I do not read it, reread it. Take the W. Take the W. Yeah. You got other, you have um, other historical fictions to write. There we this go. This is published. <laughs> it's in people's hands, so. Which is why yeah. I can't read it. I would just be happy about that. Oh, yeah. like, I know, oh, take the no, win. it's amazing. I, I, so lucky. So no, uh, we're not, we're not bagging. No, not at all. No, Absolutely. not at all. Like so, we're super proud. Well, so, we talk a lot about on the pod. We make, I joke about a lot how I'm, I'm just not really a historical fiction reader. And I think I might've told you this when we were at Annapolis that my favorite book is historical fiction. And that's one of the yeah. reasons why I really struggle to like read historical fiction because it's just set that bar for me. Up, yeah. I mean, it's To Kill a Mockingbird and like fucking hell, that book is published over a million copies every year since it's, its first printing. It's so, one of the most American, like the top top American classic novels. Right. It's like you can it's won a it's, it won a Pulitzer. Like it was uh Harper Lee going, here's the best I can do, I'm out. You know what I mean? Like she's remarkable. She never wrote anything else again. Um, she doesn't want to. She doesn't have to. She doesn't have to. So for uh Annapolis Book Festival, a surprisingly number of authors that were there were historical fiction writers. And so I was like, okay, well, you know, I'll have to dive in. And I'll tell you, 
the war librarian, that is what hooked me to your writing because I am a librarian. And I was like, all right, Google, tell me if this is true. So I'm on ALA's website and I'm like, holy shit, librarians were really doing this. They were really like at the front. Like this is what was happening. And I'm and, sorry, go ahead. And I was just going to say like, I love how much care you put into your research. So I want to know what really inspired you to write The Light of Luna Park. Yeah. Um, I I got really lucky. I stumbled across an article about Dr. Cooney's baby incubators. And just for mm -hmm. everyone who has not read the book, um, from 1903 to 1943, Dr. Martin Cooney, he told everyone mm -hmm. he was a doctor. He was not. Um, ran an incubator board, uh, incubator ward at Luna Park on Coney Island. Uh, he also had one at Atlantic City and one at Dreamland in Coney Island that ran um, during that time as well. Yeah. And he charged people, you know, entry fees to come in and gawk at the babies. Um, they were essentially a freak show, but they were cared for and, you know, maintained in this incredible manner. All the money that he made went back towards those kiddos. Um, and this was something that hospitals didn't do at the time. Hospitals uh, didn't have the resources, uh, especially in terms of staff, to to take care of these babies, which, you know, find the resources. They're humans. But, you know, I digress. Um, that's the other issue that they didn't really feel the need to. Um, right. You mentioned, obviously, the eugenics already, you know, mm -hmm. and we could talk about that for hours. I mean, Hitler, absolutely. you know, he, he read especially Southern states and Jim Crow laws and sterilization laws. And he, he modeled things after those, you know, yeah, we like yeah. to pretend that never happened. Um, we do that a lot with our history. We love, we yeah. love to we just gloss over yeah. that. I was shit. telling my kids about slavery today and they were like, what? Like they, they'd never heard of it, but they were ready to, ready to cry. There is currently a textbook that says, uh, in terms of slavery, when it's talking about slaves, they talk about them immigrating to our country oh my gosh Volu i've i've seen it where it says volunteer uh, or, or uh, we assisted in an immigration ah! that was like from when i was in high school that, um, is, uh, that is a bold that is unbelievable. so when i was explaining this novel to piper because my oldest addison is familiar with my oldest friends she actually if you have haven't seen us on insta Piper uh, made a board game of Addison's literally the coolest book, um, a set which I'll bring her in later. But she and I were talking about this book, and she's down. She's like so overloaded with school. She's like, I want to read this, and I was like, You're not gonna have time until like summer. And she goes, What's it about? And I was explaining, and she goes, What do you mean? And I was like, I had to bust down eugenics, right? I was like. Right. Mm -hmm. They really thought if these babies came out unhealthy in any way, shape, or form, that they mm -hmm. were never going to survive, and that mm -hmm. they pretty much saw them as trash. Mm -hmm. And she goes, what? And I go, so because both my girls are premature. Mm -hmm. Both came. So Piper came because of an emergency surgery. I nearly died. She nearly died. I've talked about mm -hmm. this on here. Livy was six weeks early. Both my kids needed incubators. Livy wow. was so tiny. So, like, like they, gave me, they, gave, they literally gave me a six-inch sub to take home. Like she was so little, like she ridiculous. But so I'm explaining this to my almost 15 year olds who no idea about all this. Yeah. And she's like, so you're telling me doctors who took the Hippocratic oath would let babies die. And I go, yes. And she goes, doesn't that break the Hippocratic oath? And I go, 
Piper, for real. <laughs> That's what we've been saying for bazillion years. Got years. the wisdom that all those doctors did not. And it wasn't even that they didn't have. They could have had the technology. Right. I they mean, could have had it. It was no, they had it in Europe. I mean, they had it in yeah. Europe, so there you go. They, <laughs> they, 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 incubators were inspired by, okay, this is me, like, reading your author's notes and, like, doing research because uh, I'm a librarian. What's, um, what's it, the expression? They were inspired by, like, egg incubators for, yeah. like, chickens. So yeah, this is like, new. People whose babies weren't born at the hospital, if they were born at home premature, mm-hmm. people would literally put them in a shoebox or a hat yeah. box That's that they true. warmed by the fire and stick like a hot potato or yeah. you know something in there to yeah. keep the baby warm yeah. and take it to Coney Island that way. Like people have been making their own makeshift incubators forever. Yeah. Right. And it's as like my oldest was uh he was not a preemie. He was two weeks early, but it that's not a preemie. Um he was eight pounds, two ounces, but he had some big health old issues. Boy. Yeah. He was big. He had oh, some health issues. He was he long. Was in, yeah, he yeah. Fun fact, um, my sister was 10 pounds when she was born, and she was ooh. also two weeks early. I've ooh. met your mother. That's rude of her. <laughs> your mother's a tiny woman. That is so disrespectful of your sister. Oh, wait, she was so heavy that her arm didn't work because she'd squished it in the womb. So it didn't work for weeks. I'm sorry. That's not funny, but it is funny. I bet your mom's like just picking it up and dropping it. Work. You deserve this. Look what you did to me. <laughs> anyway, we totally cut you off. My sister and mom. I'm I'm just teasing. I'm sure you guys are lovely. <laughs> we, you know, tease each other. Um, so my son was in the NICU. Mm. Um, he spent uh, five days in the NICU. And he was by far the biggest baby in there. Um, because there were low one-pound babies in that Word. NICU. Now, they were in a different part because the hospital where my son was born, which is Clear Lake Hospital in Clear Lake, Texas, Houston area, fantastic hospital. They have an amazing women's floor and they have an amazing uh, NICU. Um, and so they have two different areas. And so the one area is for the little, little preemies that are mm-hmm. like really needing a lot of ta- care. My son was in the, the highest step. He okay. was literally the He's biggest almost in the NICU, um, but he had health issues. So he had to be in there for five days. And I think about the fact that like he was under Billy lights. He was basically in an incubator. Like he wouldn't have survived. No. And I thought about, and this was like, as I'm reading this, I'm going, this was my son. Like yeah. this is a doctor telling me your son is no, uh, no, not no, strong no, enough. And yeah. this is Why God's bother? way. Could you imagine? Think about how little Livia was. Because that's what I think about. Because that's it. I'll send you pictures, Addison, later. Mm -hmm. Liv was so small. Mm -hmm. But she was, she came out a fighter. She was six weeks early. They gave her steroids so that her lungs would grow. They had a helo and an ambulance waiting because they had no idea what was going to be wrong with her. She came out screaming, bloody Mm -hmm. fucking murder. And they're like, cool, this kid's fine. She's going to make it. She, they, they literally just held her for weight because she was like three pounds and went down into the two range. And right. when they got her up to four pounds, they're like, you've had preemie babies. You can have her back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but like, just like what Molly was saying, like with James, um, <laughs> he came out screaming. I had an emergency C-section with him and he wasn't even all the way out of me yet. And that boy was, <laughs> I could tell he wasn't all the way out and he was screaming. He was angry to be born. <laughs> and I mean, in your son's but I was defense, happy because I could hear that his lungs were right, working. Right. In, in your son's defense, 
He lets us know still to this day when he is displeased with things. Let me tell you something. <laughs> Today, I am having a lot of pain with this ongoing health issues that I'm yeah. having. And Sammy, my youngest, who's seven, mommy, can I get you a pillow? Can I get you a snack? Can I fill your water bottle? Do you want cubed ice or crushed ice? Blah, blah, blah. So, so careful and so tender. And I'm like, James, can you turn down your game? It's a little loud. He's like, Ugh. it's only on 36. <laughs> I'm like, Put it down to 35 then, jerk face. 35. Oh, oh, that tween age attitude just like bubbled up in him this year. Mm. I feel welcome very to the, Welcome to the party. <laughs> yeah, and you've it's got really girls, fun so I'm here. sure that's been fun. All right, so let's go on to the next question. Um, so this is crazy, everybody. I want you all to hear this. Addison wrote this book while she was a student at Vanderbilt. <laughs> Forget you. Forget you. He was, you were a junior? Is that right? I was a junior. I forget you. Really, everyone makes it sound so impressive, but it was so impressive. It is easier to write a book while in college than it would be now when I am wrangling 26 humans every day. So lots of people write while they work or while they raise kids. That's so much more impressive. Respectfully disagree. So how did you manage your college? I'm not even going to say anything. I'm just going to look at you with disappointment. (laughs) Give me the look. Um, How did you I, manage your college classes while you were writing? Yeah, I, know I did a lot real. of writing during said college classes. Will admit, <laughs> all the teachers. That she's like, she's like, this education. I'm smarter than them. I got this. <laughs> I'll um, totally my, pass my teaching cert without them. <laughs> well, and the thing is, my professors all came to my launch event, and they they, they weren't bothered by that admission thing. I'm gonna say. They're taking credit. They're like, that was nice. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. They're like, I created that environment. You know, I inspired. All I'm going to say is we need to start introducing our little authors that are like brilliant from a young age. Because you need to meet Chessie. Because she yeah, got her. She wrote a book in college as well. Francesca. was high school. I thought she published she wrote, in high school. She wrote one in high school and it was published, I think, like right after her senior year, but picked up during her senior year. But she yeah. wrote Eliza and Her Monsters, which is my favorite of her books. She wrote that while she was in college. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to just start introducing you guys in like this little genius author bubble. We're like, yeah. Oh, yeah. I wrote my first novel. We're going to find somebody that wrote their first novel at four so you guys can feel real stupid. I mean, I won a Young Authors Award when I was in second grade. Does that count? That's right. Yes, it does. We've talked about that. (laughs) I met Beverly Cleary. Did you really? Yeah. I have zero photographic evidence of this, Addison, because I didn't realize the significance of meeting Beverly Cleary. And I got to go to lunch with her. And we went to Burger King. (laughs) You went to Burger King with Beverly Cleary? Burger King. How is that not the first thing you tell people when you meet them? Like, why didn't I know this? (laughs) Right? Hi, I'm April. I once went to Burger King with Beverly Cleary. You did. Yes. Yes. It's a hell of a story, but I have no evidence. <laughs> like, right. none. Wow. It wasn't until I was an adult that I was like, oh, that Wait was a like. a second. That happened. <laughs> Is this real life? <laughs> so, did, uh, did it take you longer to finish uh, Light of Luna Park or War Librarian? War Librarian. It took a lot, yeah. a lot longer to do the War Librarian. Um, the Light of Luna Park, I had no idea would get published. Uh, and it was just yeah. a fun hobby. It was, you know, right. I don't want to do my homework, so I'm going to write. I don't want to listen to my teachers talking. I'm going to write. 
And it went pretty fast. I mean, I wrote it within a semester. I can't remember how long, but I think I wrote it. um, A semester? I think so. Um, But it's funny because I wasn't paying attention to any, you know, it wasn't like I started this day, wrote this many words because it was just, yeah, for fun. You were young. You didn't have to think about it. You could just Yeah. When I was in college, I was going to clubs. But see, you (laughs) were having more fun. So, you know, pros and cons. Um, I did have a lot of fun in college. There we go. But the war librarian I was under contract for because when we sold mm-hmm. Light Luna Park my senior mm-hmm. year, it was a two-book contract. And so oh. we actually got sent home for COVID um, in like mm-hmm. March of my senior year. So I had mm-hmm. all yeah. the time in the world to write. And it was so much more difficult. I bet. Well, and you were doing research on um, the war librarian on because – and the war librarian, a, a great portion of it takes place at the Naval Academy. And mm-hmm. so you were like researching distantly with the Naval right. Academy. Yeah, nothing was open every day. There. Every single day I checked the Naval Academy website to see when they were going to open again to visitors because I wanted to go so badly. And I finally, my mom and I went, um, but it wasn't until the book was finished. I mean, I was in the very Damn. last, I think we might have been in copy edits even. We'd already done wow. all of the developmental edits. That's and so frustrating. Ah, now I can change the color of this, you know, the number of pillars on this building or whatever, like these right. super small, irrelevant but details. But it bothered you, so it matters. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Okay, and it was so it- cool going. I was like, this is where Kathleen walked. And I was like, wait, Kathleen's, I, I invented her. This is not where she no. walked. Welcome to Book Besties. We talk about characters like they're real people. They're real. So there we go. Continue but, on. But in a related note, celebrity. <laughs> You are a celebrity. Dummy. <laughs> Duh. In a Two books. Note, in, a, in a related note, we talked about uh, um, your attention to detail and you were like, you could, you know, change colors. But what's interesting to me is in the notes that only we see in the magic of the podcast that I sent you, I put in the notes, I know you attended Vassar, which is where part of this book takes place, but it actually was Vanderbilt. And I was like, right. that is how good your research is. That like, I'm like, yeah, she must've went to school there. She knew about it. Was, the- I assumed it too. My was like, actually, my I husband was- and I are thinking about going up tomorrow. Um, because to Vassar? To, to Poughkeepsie, yeah, to Vassar, just to, well, it's, you know, mm-hmm. fall, the leaves are changing yeah. colors. Because I was at a book club in Newburgh, New York, uh, a couple weeks ago, and they mm-hmm. were all, you know, in that area, and they were all shocked that I hadn't been, and they were like, you have to go, it's gorgeous, the library you talked really? about in your book is gorgeous. And I'm like, I don't know, I've never seen it. And so, I kept, well, you want, you I kept want, picturing Emily Gilmore, because she okay. went to Well, if you want Emily Gilmore vibes, you'll need to head up to frickin' Ithaca. Go up oh, to the Finger Lakes. Too cold for me up there. Stop! Stop it right now! You're a New Yorker. You get that cold <laughs> shit off. Not a New Yorker. Okay, she was last like year was the most mild winter. We had like one cold day, and that's the you only get New York the I've shit cold so. shit. You get the cold shit off the water. If you can tolerate that cold shit off the water, that's you can true. tolerate upstate. You know what I mean? She <laughs> doesn't get the buffalo cold. If the cut isn't buffalo. Buffalo. To me, it's all just not the same. I really don't know. (laughs) (laughs) True story. I was stationed with the same guy in two different locations, and he was from New York City, and I was from upstate. And he calls anything past the five boroughs Dragonland. I have one of Jorge's classmates is from Yonkers, and they say he's from upstate New York. No, absolutely fucking not. I know. As an upstater, I no. 
I know. He's like, I'm a Dominican New Yorker. I'm not from upstate New York. No, you, you're not pale enough and you've probably never been near a cow. So funny. <laughs> I have nothing to contribute to this as an Ohioan. But, um, same thing though. Like yeah. that part of Ohio and that part of New York, same thing. Farms, same. people, nothing there. We have more than barns in Ohio. Farms. We have, farms. We have what? Covered bridges. We went to Ohio. We do have a lot of covered bridges. We also have Cedar Point. You do have Cedar Point. I love Cedar Point. And they just legalized uh, marijuana in Ohio. So it's not only like upstate New York. It's like New York City. Wow. I've seen so many. Wow. I've seen so many tweets about. I've seen so many tweets or Instagrams and memes. Like if we don't get a dispensary that's called O-H-I-O. I don't want it. <laughs> My kids the other day, we were looking at a map of the U.S. and they went, wait, Ohio is real? Why is this a joke? What? Okay. If they you have a child, if you have a child that has been born, that was born past 2010 and they are in school, DM us on Book Besties Pod on Instagram, TikTok, email us, fucking explain Ohio. Why is this a joke to them? And I don't Why? think my kids get it because they're all Russian. None of them grew up here. And so they just like, hear it and repeat it. Don't comprehend this joke. Liv's, like the boys in Liv's grade, Ohio is the funniest thing in the world. Yeah, they love it. it. They add everything in Ohio at the end of things or from Ohio or. Like they share memes about know. Ohio. Like just, had just a friend, pictures. Yeah, I had a friend in, Flor- in Florida who thought growing up, she thought it wasn't Ohio. She thought it was no Ohio because she would hear in Ohio and she thought it was in no Ohio. She didn't know until she was like a teenager that Ohio and that girl was from Pennsylvania. Like you should have known. Right. You're the next door state. That's amazing. Oh my gosh. I love how on topic we are. We're doing great. We're really going. We're trying to help her get this book like to people. I mean, they're already getting the book. The book's already to the people. <laughs> Let's hope so. All right. So what? So, uh, okay. Blah, blah. Um, and we kind of already covered that. So, okay, here we go. So Molly and I were both English majors. So when you talk about like, you didn't want to do your schoolwork, you had wanted to write, like, that's what my schoolwork was. So okay. <laughs> that, that's all I did. See, I think that so makes English it a lot major- yeah, it does. So English majors would talk a lot about like different uh, critics. Maybe mm-hmm. maybe Molly didn't, but we did in my school. I don't know. Molly went to a different school than me. But um, I really feel like your books can be like critiqued through using a feminist lens. Mm-hmm. So um, are you intentionally writing like these early feminists? Or for you, is it just you just like writing strong women in general? Like what what's going on there? That's a good question. Um, I, I think largely I just write what I read and that's such a prevalent thing and especially in historical fiction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's also, it's interesting because, you know, none of these women would have called themselves feminists. Mm-hmm. Um, and right. I do get comments on, you know, Goodreads or whatever that like, Hey, these are in- anachronistic characters. No woman would have ever thought that X, Y, Z in 1900. And, you know, I point out that, well, there were women, you know, chaining themselves to things and, you know, all right. that for like suffrage, et cetera. I'm pretty sure it's not that weird. That I was like, how do you think we got the boat? 
Right. Like, I, you know, I don't know if it's. Do you think we could There was absolutely women making a stink, or we wouldn't have the vote today. We wouldn't be allowed to work. We wouldn't have fucking equal pay. Shut up. We can can even make all the prevailing, you know, mainstream view. Right. We can rewind even further, like, and go back to the Salem witch trials. Right. There were all women women who believed (laughs) things that were different from what they were told. And I think that's sort of what I want to explore. So, you know, I'm not fancy and I can't talk about like what lens you can view it through. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's definitely intentional. We're not fancy either. You know, you know, these women are doing things. They're pushing boundaries. They are. In a place that's pretty hostile to them doing so because they're women or for whatever other reason. And I thought for this book in particular, well, actually War Librarian too, because War Librarian also is two different um, times, Um, two different, what is the words we're looking for? I don't know. Timelines. What'd you say? Timelines. Dual timeline. Yeah. Dual timeline. Yeah. Whatever. Um, So you've got that in both of your books and in in different parts of history. um, And uh, you're seeing these really strong women who are fighting against, I mean, they're fighting against a lot of things in this book. We've got, um, Althea is fighting against the doctors who are all men, Mm -hmm. right? They're all men, all the men doctors who are telling her these women's babies, they just are ready to die. It's fine. Yeah. Suck it up. It's no big deal. And I don't know that everybody, (laughs) right. Right. And I don't know that everybody knows this, but historically at this time, and maybe this was in your research, Addison, and I just missed it. But historically at this time, a lot of women were having, especially if your baby was born in the hospital, you were having a C-section. So you weren't yeah. actually... Um, Forcibly. Yeah. You, yes. You, you didn't get a choice. You weren't having a vaginal birth either. So um, having a C-section with my Sammy, when he came out, he couldn't breathe because baby's lungs actually get cleared that way but when you're having a a mom who's so like um high on the painkillers or under the influence of painkillers and you're telling her that her baby that she might not even be strong enough yet to hold Mm -hmm. like that's crazy to me these these women Mm -hmm. deserve better and and althea is pushing against that as you know and i think that's amazing well, there's yeah, also a- go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Finish, Addison. No, um, just that there's so. I mean, it was the way the nurses were treated, but you're right. It's the way the mothers were treated that they mm-hmm. are too fragile. They can't make these decisions. Um, oh, yeah, Margaret, yeah. you know, the dads make the decisions for them. They say, "Oh, no, 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 we're not gonna, we're not gonna send her mm-hmm. to that place. We're not gonna send her to Coney Island." Oh yeah, um, yeah. And I mean, the women are they're drugged. They're like you said, yeah. forcible C-sections or you know, sticking yeah. forceps. You know, all of these just just inhumane frankly um treatments and it's i mean it's incredible that anyone survived frankly but but yeah it's not just althea it's all of the moms in the book too that are fighting against this system and And the program that althea was in was mostly women nurses but that wasn't always the case either there weren't a lot of women that were even in medicine at all at that point right Mm -hmm. yeah bellevue had the first florence nightingale based um, women's nursing school. Go. That's amazing. No, it's okay. Um, no, I was just going to say that since we're talking about like all four characters of yours, mm-hmm. there is a lens here too of morality for them, right? Mm-hmm. Because all four women are set mm-hmm. with strict rules. They are right. given guidelines by men mm-hmm. that are told this is the rule, but they are going against, they have to balance what is their 
personal morals versus what is told is right in modern day. So going over, having that balance and Mm -hmm. mirroring that, that is something that Mm -hmm. carries over, not just from this book, from that book. I'm assuming whatever you write next, if you do another dual Mm -hmm. timeline, it'll roll over that way because Mm -hmm. you can see you have a clear head, like voice and story when it comes to this, that you like putting these women, no offense, you love fucking with them. You <laughs> love putting these women in a moral predicament. Right. You love mm-hmm. making them go, shit, do what I, am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to do what my heart and my mind is telling me is right? Or am I supposed to follow what the rule of me? Everyone else is telling me. Mm-hmm. Right. It's a I mean, very- that's, that's the role of every woman, right? So yeah. to this day, which is one of the them. reasons- that I love dual timeline so much because it forces us to look, you know, you're comparing those two timelines, just, Mm -hmm. you know, obviously unconsciously or consciously you are. And that forces you to unconsciously start thinking about, wow, how much has and hasn't changed between not only 1926 and 1950, but 1926, 1950 and 2023. You nailed it. And that is one of the reasons why I'm just going to go back to Kill Mockingbird. When I I taught that book to freshmen and my first teaching job was in the middle of the West Tampa projects. Most of my students were low readers Mm -hmm. um, and they had never finished a book. I mean, I'm not kidding. They were like, I've never finished a book. Like I've never done that. And so I would read to kill Mockingbird to them. Sometimes I'm the only white person in the room. And that book is a really uncomfortable thing as a white person to read to a bunch of students of color. But I did it because I wanted them to read it the discussions that we would have about that book, about how things had not changed for people of color, who had mm-hmm. not changed for black people when it came to uh, the police um, and, and the the over-criminalization of people of color. Right. That's what, exactly. That's I what mean, you've got going on in this book here is I can see those parallels. And what I think is really interesting is with this one, you're writing 1920s and 1950s. And with War Library in your 1940s and was it 60s? 70s. So so, so you've got 40s and 70s. So you've got that same, like now we have 20s, 40s, 50s, and 70s. So the next one you write, you need to do the 30s and the 60s. And the 80s. No, wait. No, I got an idea. I got an idea. You're going to do spars and you're going to do... Women in the Coast Guard in the 90s and women in the Coast Guard during the SPARS era. So you can see that how women have managed sexual assault because I'm not going to be able to write that book without keep, with keeping my shit together. And right. I need you to write it. <laughs> Molly keeps saying, I need Addison to write my book. I need Addison to write my book because I have the librarian book and our very good friend, Nurse Katie, has the light of the You're book. writing me a Coast Guard book, right. woman. I don't think you get a choice in it anymore. <laughs> Love it. Uh, one of my favorite like, things, uh... <laughs> um, there is, it was, oh, darn it, I'm going blank now on which, I think it was the WAC, um, the Women's Army Court in World War II. Uh-huh. Have y'all heard the story about the two women that were picked as the, like, spokespeople for the ideal, like, feminine um, WAC were lovers? Yeah. Um, but no, yep. that's my literal yeah. favorite thing. And one of them was actually picked as to, like, rat out other. They were like, let us know if anyone's, you know, acting homosexual. And she was like, no signs of it. <laughs> Never seen any homosexual in my life. Never seen a queer person ever. ever. My favorite. Never. Someone needs to write that book because I'm obsessed. Uh, There's just, there's so many great queer stories that come out of the past. Mm -hmm. I read a a short article about um, two men who were 
pilots together for the British Air Force during World War II. Mm-hmm. And one died after they got split up. And mm-hmm. he lived his life going to the bay, watching for the other's plane to come back. Mm-hmm. He died at the bay. He was waiting for his friend to come home. Like, his kids would take him. He pretended oh. to have, like, a normal life. And his kids would take him, like, every Friday until he passed. And wow. he, like, left them a whole no about why he was always going there when he passed. Yeah. That's heartbreaking. Could you imagine dying and, like, you're just living a normal life? He decided to just go straight after that. He's like, fuck it. I'm not going to be happy. I might as well have a family. Oh, my gosh. If I can find that, I'll post that because everybody deserves to have heartbreak. So, uh... (laughs) I, I want to talk a little bit about um, Althea and Stella both making sacrifices as mothers, even mm. though biologically neither of them are. Right. Um, so can you talk about uh, the parallels of the sacrifices they make? Yeah. A little bit? Um, so, I mean, Althea is obvious. <laughs> she yeah. steals this baby, Margaret, whose parents say no, or really her dad says, no, we're not going to send her to Coney Island. It's right. not God's will. For her to survive, Gross, um, by the way, lovely, and um, and I got that from real interviews with real. real I don't people doubt that the person next to them was offered a spot, and they said no, and so they got it instead. And here they are giving this interview eighty years later because they're able to, and the other person yeah. is not. Um, hmm. but anyway, um, Althea, in taking away this baby, Margaret has to obviously give up her entire. Mm-hmm nursing career because now she's got this tiny little baby mm-hmm. that she's stolen and she's visiting mm-hmm. every day at Coney right. Island in the incubator and no one can right. know who it is or where it came from. You know, she, there's this forged death certificate. Um, you know, all of this illegal stuff that she, she cannot, you know, so she much also not, baby theft. Yep. So much, baby so theft, much baby you know. theft. So, <laughs> such an ethical quandary. Um, that she, was on my mind this whole book. I'm like, you stole a baby. <laughs> I know. I always have to feel like I have to do a disclaimer since I, you know, am a teacher. I'm like, I do not steal children. I do not condone stealing children. I mean, honestly, I'd let you sometimes. Let you, right? I feel like a lot of parents would. Um, but she she also can't, because we were talking about the restrictive rules before, she can't mm-hmm. have a baby if she is going to be right. a nurse. Uh, so she can't pass it off as her own and keep working. Even if she gets married, um, they had to be unmarried, white, preferably Protestant, you know, well-educated, all these very specific, you know, ideas of what a nurse was. So she gives up everything. This has been her whole life's dream um, is to be a nurse. And she gives that up. Stella is (laughs) not sure what she is and isn't willing to give up uh, for real potential biological children that her husband does want. Mm -hmm. Um, But she is willing to sacrifice her job, which, you know, is what gives her purpose um, for her kids and for her her students. And this comes early enough in the book that I think it's not, you know, a spoiler. Um, the principal, lovely guy. Um, Swell doesn't, guy. Number yeah, one. Just great. He has them, you know, their classes in a basement. <laughs> um, doesn't matter that a kid's in a wheelchair, you know, carry down the stairs, no biggie. Um which You're strong. You'll figure it that out. I almost got in here in New York doesn't have an elevator and it's four stories. So I'm not sure what their plan is when they have kids that need have accessibility issues. But awesome. I awesome. Digress. 
Awesome. Again, um, so anyway, he's they're in the basement. They have no windows. They have no curriculum. They have no materials. She's like, I need materials. I cannot teach these children without stuff. She wants crayons and maps and, you know, some books, yeah. some really revolutionary yeah, stuff, stuff like that. Yeah. Again, things that teachers still, unfortunately, don't get a lot. That they pay for with measles. They'll pay out of pocket themselves yeah. for for their classes. but they're judged by other teachers if they don't buy out of their Seriously. own pockets right if your classroom like is bare world. if your classroom is bare they're judging you right mm-hmm. and it's like well sorry i'm not made of pets but yeah. new york like i was shocked my classroom came equipped with a library like all of the books that's yeah, amazing that's awesome. i know but like that shouldn't be amazing how are you supposed to teach kids without books that should be a but in nashville i had to buy Everything, Everything except my sister was like that in Buford. Crayons. They they would endlessly supply you with crayons. I'm like I don't use crayons. We use crayons like once a month. It's third grade because crayons break. Yeah, that's in true. Florida, in Florida, they gave us a hundred dollars every year to buy yep. classroom supplies. That's what they did. In wow. Like, that's, that's you need your receipt. Dollars. You need to explain that's- exactly what it's for. Mm-hmm. It can't be furniture. It can't be you know decoration. It can't be storage. I bought I bought books a lot of the times. Yes. But I would also buy printer paper because I ran the newspaper and the yearbook and when we were out of paper, I had to buy my own. Mm. So yeah. my yeah. sister so anyway, I got very off track here. Sorry. Yeah. That's okay. We're talking about teachers. No, no, go. My sis my sister's was a public school teacher in Buford. She just recently switched over to private because and um she had a desk built for her classroom when she started because she wanted a standing desk so she could work. Mm, and when yeah, she went yeah. to take it out of the public school, they tried telling her it wasn't hers. No way. Yep. It's insane. Yep. It's she, insane. That's it's like she's like you're kidding me, right? And she had all these books donated for her classroom and they're like you're not taking those and she goes, "Those are mine. I'm the one that sourced them. I got them." Yeah. Yeah. It was that's it was it so they weren't great to her either. Like she was, mm, I'll tell you later, but <laughs> back on track. That's a later problem. Back on track. She asked for materials. Stella does. And the principal's like, okay, sure. And you know, she walks into school and there are boxes and she's so excited. And it's drum roll. Straight jackets. Straight jackets. Because Literal that was the standard of care. Straight jackets. Because that and was that, the standard of care. It's unbelievable. He was like, this is, this is recommended. This isn't me, you know, this isn't me trying to send a message. This is what what the health industry, you know, the medical um, world recommends. And it's true that the vast majority of children with with disabilities were sent off to institutions and treated, you know, miserably. Um, What what got under my craw the most, I mean, all of those kids were treated terribly, all of them. mm -hmm. But the second language kids, the second language kids. Who was non-native English? She was Italian. She was Italian. It's like she was in there, and it's it's like still an issue. So we have elementary kids are underrepresented in special ed. Kids that should be in special ed are not because people say, "Oh, there's nothing wrong." You know, not wrong. There's nothing. You know, they don't need any extra support. It's just the language. When they learn the language, you'll they'll be fine. And the teachers are like, "No, this is more than just the language." So elementary underrepresented. But when they get to, yeah, when they get to high school, they're overrepresented because they're like, what? The 17-year-old can't read English? You know, throw them in special ed, but they just don't know the language. So it's insane. It's still an issue in both directions. Mm-hmm. As one of those kids that was on the line in the early 90s, they just decided not to put me in. 
So instead oh. of getting me any assistance at all, right. I struggled. It was like all like I still can't more. like I still can't do fractions. Like I every kid I know that was my age in that age group, like during that time frame that was like on the line, either had like dyslexia, ADHD, something like that. If right. they weren't put in those classes, they were just pushed through. So they all have a skill that they never learned because they just kept right. getting pushed through. Got yeah, yeah. Went on to the next. I don't grade. know fractions. Not gonna lie, and, and <laughs> fractions are a beast. Fractions and are as a, a worst. As an as an inclusion educator, because I was my classes were inclusive. My son is also um, my ha- my oldest son is autistic and so he has a special education teacher but he's also gifted so he's in a a traditional classroom with special ed services and reading the diverse needs of the classroom of Stella's classroom some of those kids would have belonged in a much different environment some needed to be in a contained classroom i mean we use all these terms now but they weren't terms then right um they're a contained classroom versus inclusive classroom and i absolutely love when stella starts doing research on exceptional children and what it means to be special education because a lot of people who are not in education don't know this but gifted education is also special. Yeah, we learned twice exceptional. Your son is twice exceptional. That's what... Yeah, (laughs) but I mean, in general, gifted education is a part of special education because it is a special education that they need. The regular curriculum isn't rigorous rigorous enough to meet their needs. So I just think, I just thought I loved that. And I went to uh, Bowling Green State University. What'd you say? Oh, I just said, thank you. I I appreciate it. (laughs) You're welcome. I went to Bowling Green State University in Bowling Green, Ohio. Go Falcons. Um, we're going to make a football bowl this year. Good job, guys. So I, uh, Bowling Green is uh, one of like the teacher schools. I'm not just talking about in Ohio. I mean, nationally ranked teacher school. Yeah. In 1910, when it was founded, it was a teacher's college. Um, and so it is deep. Um we have a library that has an entire floor dedicated to education. You can go there as an ed That's student awesome. and like borrow resources to make bulletin boards in your, in your classes. Vanderbilt had one of those. It was the best. I love it. I the love it. The die cutting so station. Yes. And so when Stella, yes, we did. We had like a little Ellison machine. You could like crank the thing. And so when Stella goes to Vassar into the academic library and she starts pulling those resources, I was just immediately transported back to the third floor (laughs) of the library. And that's literally what I did. I went down to Vanderbilt's like stacks and I looked Mm -hmm. at all those really old special education books that were, that had been there since maybe not the fifties, but the sixties. Right. And I cracked those open and I'm like, what were they saying at the time? Yeah, um, exactly. you know, what were the, the actual contemporary sources saying? And yeah. so that's, that's where I got you know, some of the things that she read were really things that I read. I love nice. that. Good job, Addison. That's, that's good. Job. I love that. So I want to talk a little bit about uh, Stella's husband, Jack. So he is yeah. a World War II vet who fought mm-hmm. in France on the, I'm assuming the front line because France, mm-hmm. so I'm just assuming. Um, uh, when he returns home from war, he enrolls at Vassar, which I didn't know that that was a thing that happened. Which was um, super cool to learn. He meets Stella. So many. Yeah. Yeah. It's so cool, though. Um, and he has what like, they're calling. What'd you say? 
Oh, just 10 guys wandering around the campus. Like I it's, I thought it was so interesting because we talk about women in male dominated spaces, but this mm-hmm. was like the reverse of that in a weird way. Yeah. So I just couldn't help but stick it in there. But, but anyway. what I really love is that they don't, they don't get a diploma from Vassar. They get it from. I know. <laughs> so weird. The whole that thing. Weird. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, he has shell shock, which is. Mm. Yeah what we call PTSD today, post-traumatic mm-hmm. stress disorder. So I was kind of wondering if you did some research into what um, some of those World War II vets uh, were experiencing, if that yeah. when you were doing. Yeah, yeah, not not extensively, um, mm-hmm. but there is always research on, you know, every detail because, you know, when you're researching, you don't have to be physically writing. So it's a good, yeah. good procrastination right. technique. Um, you don't so say, I, never been. Definitely, yeah, you've never heard of that, right? Um I definitely did do some research on that. And I just, it was another way that the medical world was failing. Mm-hmm, it's people mm-hmm. in need. You know, mm-hmm. the I, I thought it's it's not Stella. I mean, it does become, of course, Stella's problem because she's married right. to him. But it's not her personal, you know, it's not her PTSD. But right. I want to include it because it's so important. You know, it's not only right. these kids who are being mistreated. And it's not only these women who are being mistreated. And it's not only the premature babies. All of us. But it's, yeah, it's, you know, they they don't care. They don't care about this, this shell shock. You know, they just, I mean, you know, know, some men just can't handle it. Um, I mean, and the government's still ignoring it today. Right, exactly. So it's still, there's still PTSD running around in my generation of veterans who served during war, who are just being ignored. Most of them wander the streets. Like so many homeless veterans are suffering with some sort of, mental illness or mental break because mm-hmm. of their time in service. Right. And what they it's through. heartbreaking. Exactly. It's heartbreaking. It's horrific. And that's, mm-hmm. I mean, that's really why I wanted it in there because even though it's just a small part of the book, it's another, another, you know, re- it's reminder sign to of- compare. It's, it's a, it's a small part of the, of the book, but it's a big part of Stella's life, you know? Yes, because- that's true. And it's a big part of so many people's. Right. Exactly. And I think like having her experience, like she wants to know what happened to him. Like she's like, I want to know because I have to know in order to know you. But mm-hmm. he's like, I, I'm trying Can't really hard yeah. to protect you from my trauma. Like, I'm not going to hurt you. I'm not going to hurt anyone. But I can't disclose this because it's my trauma that will hurt you if I do. And, and honest, like, that was powerful. And honestly, it would have hurt him more to relive it, yeah, explaining absolutely. it out loud right. than I tried anything to, yeah. else. The, the yeah, scene where he, no where they're in the bowling alley and uh, one of the balls crashes into a pin and he dies. Yeah. Like, that was just, Wow. That was a very impactful scene for me. And I mean, I'm a wife of a veteran, right? And right. so Molly and I, so given the fact that she's a wife of a yeah, veteran, both and of y'all have more. we have seen a lot of, like, I have, we know a lot of people that have PTSD from their time yeah. in service. Um, and, and like Molly said, we're talking about people our age. We're not just talking about veterans from, uh, you know, the from Korean War and the Vietnam War. We talk a lot about them having PTSD. Absolutely. We're talking about people who are currently serving. So and it's, and it's and people who are not being served. Yeah. People who are not. Yeah, I know. Serving. And that's, that's another topic, like the underfunded mm-hmm. and underrepresented. You cover that in all of your books. You highlight that yeah. even when you're not forcibly highlighting that you're yeah. like, Hey, look, you see this thing. 
it yeah. still fucking broke it. Yeah. And this was 1950, yeah. and you still and left it fucking really broken. Do you care? Do. You know what I mean? I like that you, you left hanging at the end of this book, just a little sprinkle in there, the first African-American woman to become a doctor at Belleville. Yes. Belleville. <laughs> it's like this very I, tiny you know, little it's a hard line to walk because obviously I'm a very privileged, you know, white woman, went to private university, you know, all of this fancy stuff. Mm-hmm. But I'm writing historical fiction. I can't ignore this, these historical realities. Right. So I try right. very hard, especially with the world. You, what are you talking about? Um, so many historical fiction writers just ignore do. reality. Right, 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 right. <laughs> On a regular so, basis. What are you fucking I, talking you know, about, woman? <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair. Um, but should not. So maybe instead of cannot, should not. Um, mm-hmm. It's, right. you know, they're, they're not my stories to tell, obviously. Right. So there's that fine line to walk between pretending that I'm the expert in, you know, the African-American experience or right. the veterans experience or whatever it is. Right. Um, and acknowledging that there is that experience. As so, a veteran. Yeah. That like has wa- lost, watched and seen firsthand some of this stuff mm-hmm. you re- represent us just fine yeah you know what i mean because you do your work you do the legwork you know what i mean and i can't speak for the black community i can speak for the queer community i can speak for the veterans i can speak for women there's a lot of things i can't speak for but the black community is not one but as somebody that you have represented in the past i can say you do your work mm-hmm. you and don't feel- speak out of turn and this is a metaphor of course you don't speak out of turn you know, yeah. does that make sense? You yeah. say what you mean, you back it up, you you show your receipts, mm-hmm. and then you step aside and you let people figure it out on their own. And that and that's, I really, and that's really why appreciate I appreciate that because it always what, feels like dangerous. No, you know? no, no, I don't want to do it wrong. And that's why I like your books because I see the research there, mm. and yeah. I have read some historical fiction where I'm like, oh my gosh. Where is the fucking research? Like, I know more about this and I didn't even Google the topic. Did you and listen like, to Wild Girls and me ramble about freaking mm-hmm. bobcats for an hour? And 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 Addison, I I do not, I'm not just this saying this because you're our guest and because we like you. I'm not just saying this. No. Like, I have texted Molly before we met you in April uh-uh. and said, I cannot believe the amount of intricacy in this book. She's telling me things about my profession that I didn't know. <laughs> that is what I'm talking about. That's the kind the of thing I'm for. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, without giving the end of the way, way of the ending of the book, but I have to talk about, I have to talk about Charlie. Charlie, because yeah. I am a romance reader. That is my preferred genre. <laughs> um, and so uh, I, I want to talk about Althea's relationship with Charlie. Charlie's the handsome doctor. He proposes to Althea. Althea doesn't want, she doesn't just decline. She like runs away. She never even says no. She just she like, never even says no. 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 Like, she literally ghosts him. She's like, see ya. Later. Um, like, she leaves like the, the bugs. She leaves the bugs bunny, the roadrunner dust <laughs> behind her. Literally moves out of the house where she's living. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. Could not. Yeah. We we do learn at some point that Althea does see him again. Um, and do you th- I mean ah, I just words. I want I want them to be together. So I know, I know, and I have book clubs that are so mad at me. That are so mad at me. I, I need to but you just second that opinion. I just want his gray eyes to be with her. I know. I know. I have, I mean, we talked before about the sacrifice and I think it would have been too easy 
you know, yeah. I mean, not really, she would have been miserable for 50 years still. So, you know, really, I yeah. could have been a little nicer to her. But, you know, that that was the theme, you know, but, in English. But talk. that's the point of this book, right? The mother's sacrifice. Exactly. What and so she has to sacrifice will, not just her job, but everything else. What will we, will no, we let give her up? Finish. She's trying to defend this to me because I need her to because I, this is a so part I'm about. <laughs> defend yourself. <laughs> So fun fact about it, that last, towards the end chapter where she does see him again, was not initially in the book. Really? Um, It happened. Stella recounts that it happened because she finds out, you know, whatever. Um, So it did happen. It was, you know, in the story. And my mom, who was the first reader, said, you know, you should really include that scene because I think it would be so much more interesting and powerful to actually get to read it. And I was like, mom, that's such a cop out. You can't just jump forward a bunch of decades and write like some random chapter because you feel like it. Like that's not how it works. I'll be like, mom, I don't want you reading me writing sex. Gross. (laughs) That too. Um, So then. (laughs) It's fine. Yeah. It's fade to black. Um, So then. It's fine. Then the editor gets her hands on it and she says, you know what you should do? You should write that chapter. I was like, that's a brilliant idea. (laughs) Best idea Um, ever. I never thought of that. Ever, I can't believe this idea is brand new. And my mom, I could have saved like, thousand. I could have saved thousands of dollars. Thanks, Ed. Your mom won't let you forget it. Is that what she said? You know, she she was she's she goes easy on me, but I wouldn't blame her if she didn't. She gave me a look like, oh, you're gonna add it in, you know, and tried to be all supportive. What your editor said. Give her a hard time. <laughs> knows best. I know. She really Do it. Should. You so have free that- range to give her a hard time now, mom. Yes. Do it. She said it here on here. <laughs> so I will, you know, I will own up to that one. But I thought that was pretty funny, especially in a book about, you know, motherhood. That I'm like, no, mom, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I just, of course she did. I, moms always do. Such a daughter. Such a daughter thing to say. I really, I was like, oh, no, no. I know. That was I know. like, that was my loathing in this Same. book. and. I was just, I was so heartbroken over it. So um, I have one last character that I want to talk about. And then Molly has some like writing questions. I'm not the writer. I'm just the reader. So um, I want to talk about Hattie. So Hattie mm-hmm. is Margaret's mother mm-hmm. and she's a battered woman. Um, she's in an abusive relationship. Her marriage is still going on Yeah, decades later. So she's still being abused decades later. Um, and, uh, I, I, what were you trying to say with her story? Yeah. I mean, there's the obvious connections of, you know, here are these women all struggling in their different ways. And Althea, Mm -hmm. although she struggles, she does have a lot of privilege. Um, Mm -hmm. Hattie, not so much. And I really just wanted to show that, I mean, there was just no way necessarily to get out of it. Women were trapped Mm -hmm. in these roles Mm -hmm. in these families and these, you know, they couldn't work. They couldn't do, she, you know, if I read so much about you go to a church and the church tells you, you made a vow in front of God, you go to the police and they tell you, you made a vow, you know, with the state, you, your husband gets to do whatever he wants. He's the head of the household. You you know, you need to stop disobeying him and maybe then he'll stop, you know, hurting you. Can I Um, ask? Sorry, you finish and then I have a question with that. No, 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 go. Um, my question is, is, was it 
Hattie, Hattie was always going to be there because of Stella, right? And Margaret. But the choice of having her a battered woman, did that come post figuring out, oh, Margaret has to go with Athea? And you're like, I need to right. write something reason. in here that makes it less morally difficult for Athea? Yeah. yeah. Like, was that um, like part of your thought process or was, it was that definitely part of the part of thought process? It wasn't after it was, you know, as I was coming like, up with the whole story. I was wondering like, okay, if it was like, be. yeah, because we sometimes but write yes, ourselves no, into was, a corner, right? Definitely or like, part of the reason. It was like, okay, she needs a reason. Yes. Yeah. Cause um, I'm like, could you, could you imagine if like the moral quandary you put Althea in, if Hattie's just a decent human being with right. just a and husband think, who ignores her? Yeah. And, and I think that could have changed would, your whole story. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. They would never forgive Althea. Right. And I think, you know, I've talked to people who even now think she did the wrong thing. Um, but clubs <laughs> unanimously agree that she needed to take the baby in the first place from the hospital oh, and see? not let her die. So I, I have to be on that side too, because I mean, I agree that she saved the baby's life, but uh, um, I, the decision she made, it wasn't hers on. to make. It was right. not hers to make. It, I mean, it, there. It's a allu- you allude to the fact that Hattie's kind, of, Hattie, right? Hattie, Hattie is kind of giving her permission almost yeah. to save Margaret when she's, you know, in the hospital and she's too little and she's like, uh, "Can you please, like, maybe do something?" Even though her husband has said no, but it was not. It was not Althea's decision no. to make to keep. It was her Margaret. decision to save the baby, sure, but yeah. not. Because yeah. she medically should have, but and that's exactly why I wrote it because I didn't want it to be too obvious. You know, if if Hattie right. and Michael were just this great couple, um, then it would be too obvious that she did the wrong thing. If you know Hattie right. said, "Take my baby, right. save her," it would be too obvious that she right. did right. the right thing, or well, she it, went it, back it, and it got permission, away, or she went back. And, so it needs, Sorry. you know, I needed it to be right. sort of on the line. No. It gives away the plot point. If Hattie just gives her the baby and say, mm-hmm. take her and run. No, that also that, defeats that, the entire point of the story. Right. It buries mm-hmm. your whole storyline. It yeah, gets right. rid of that moral quandary that Althea is dealing, struggling with the whole time. I'm not right. saying I'm good with the baby napping, but I don't know what the hell else I would have done in that situation. Right. Well, and it, it, it drove the story and it actually is where the idea came from because Cooney was this fake doctor, like we said. Right. He was lying. Um, but he saved 6,500 babies' lives through his, mm-hmm. you know, devious um, con manning. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, who who can I invent that has the same exact quandary? Yeah. And it's Althea. Yeah. She's lying and stealing and breaking the law, but she's doing it for the right reason. And that's, you know, it was really that ethical question that I wanted to drive the novel. It's yeah. good. It's smart. It's smart. Mm-hmm. So, okay. And I'm I gonna... think it's okay. And I think it's okay if your reader's do not like that plot point if oh, they're yeah. uncomfortable with that plot point. I am point, happy with the arguing back and forth. I, yes. I was going to say, I think that, that that's kind of a, a point in this. Mm-hmm. But like, exactly. We're making an uncomfortable choice here. Yeah, and it's not in the name of eugenics and God's mm-hmm. will. We're making this difficult decision for, for better, you know? Yeah. And it's actually truly better. Like, not just... <laughs> My baby's not going to make it. And honestly, my favorite books are the ones I argue with her about. So right. if a exactly. book's not making That's this really... argue, what's the damn point? Mm-hmm. Right. So mm-hmm. I'm going to bug you about some writing crap now. Yeah, And I'm going to try to mostly be quiet because I don't do the writing. So <laughs> Luna Park was your debut novel. Duh. 
Um, what was it like for you, a baby author, uh, fresh out the freaking book womb? What was it like working with somebody so big like Penguin? Oh my gosh. What so was- it was shocking, first of all. Yeah, I uh, sure. got the call, my first call from Tara at Penguin when I was sweeping in the student classroom I was student teaching in. So it was like very incongruous. I was like sweaty. Wild. And there was like glitter on the floor. Um, and they call and they're like, yeah, we want to, you know, offer you a book deal. And I'm like, a what? You know. You You're like, say that again? <laughs> I, I, was, I was shocked. I mean, I was, it, it just didn't seem real. Um, we had sent to about 15, 15 publishers and Putnam was the only one that bit. But Melissa, my agent, said that actually Tara had been at the very top of her list. She said there were two or three that she was really, really hoping on. And and Tara was one of them. Um, and, you know, I was thrilled. And yeah, I bet that was really all I cared about. They were like trying to negotiate the advance. And I was like, I don't care. My book's getting published. Uh, I mean, honestly, I as long as it's on that shelf. Yeah. Right. So, you know, that's more than enough for me. Um, what was... <laughs> a bit scary was, you know, when we were on the phone, again, first time I've ever spoken to Tara, um, she was asking me what other, you know, what other historical events or ideas I might have. Mm. And the way she asked it, at least my impression of it, though, again, I could have been reading it wrong as I was sweeping and dealing with a kid who came in because he didn't want to go to gym, whatever. Um, I could have been teaching. But my, yes, my impression was that she was just trying to get a feel for whether I was interested in writing more in general. You know, whether I was going to be, okay, I wrote my book, I'm done. Or like, yes, I'm interested in history. I want to keep doing this. So I rattled off a couple random things. No real ideas. Just, you know, this was interesting and this is interesting and this is interesting. And then when we got the contract in our inboxes a few weeks later, it said, you know, this is for The Light of Luna Park and an unnamed second book that will be about librarians in World War One. Which was just nice. one of the things I've thrown out. <laughs> um, and to give her the it's benefit like, of the doubt. Write this one. She's like, I like that. Give it to me. You'll write that. And, you know, in You're her like, defense. Cool. I don't remember that. <laughs> right. In her defense, it was probably the one I sounded most excited about. Um, yeah. It was terrifying because, like I said, the Light of Luna Park was just a hobby between classes yeah. in class. And now she's like, yep, we need this book and this is what it's going to be about. And here's when we need it. And the deadline was not so scary because I work relatively fast, but just the having to write it at all and knowing people were going to read it and expect good Mm -hmm. things because they liked the first one was terrifying. So it was like- The expectation of it all. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So it was a total dream, but also like very overwhelming. Mm -hmm. So did you get to pick your editor then or did they have their own in-house editor they preferred? Um, it was Tara. So the one we talked to, the one who bought it, she nice. was the editor. And nice. then it went to nice. whatever copy editor and nice. line editor. So what is, what was the editing process like for you? Because Long. much of different editors. <laughs> so some editors prefer a sit down where they just hash it out. Some take months where they push it back and forth. What was the process like for you? She would read it and then send me like 12 pages of criticism. <laughs> and Ouch. Then- I would have like a lot of things about yourself when you two months. The way I would handle it because I'm not, you know, accustomed to that. I mean, you know, I was lucky I didn't have teachers that, you know, were, they were all very supportive (laughs) and encouraging and complimentary. I was like, what? Um, This hurts my feelings a lot. (laughs) So, what I do every time is they're normally sent in like the afternoon. So, I'll Mm -hmm. skim it in the evening 
Smart. And then in the morning, I'll read it for real. And, you know, skimming it's not so bad because I'm not really getting the details. And then reading it in the morning is not so bad because I already knew most of that anyway. And, you know, it's just filling in the spots. And I found that that's like very effective. I don't really even bat an eye. I'll get frustrated if I don't want to make a change, but I don't get mm. offended or yeah. embarrassed or feel, you know, bad about myself, which is really surprising. Yeah. I really thought I would. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't really bother me. Um, so then I have, you know, one month, two months, three months, whatever to do everything and send it back. And then we do it again. Right. Um, right. The first time for the Light of Luna Park, she, you know, loved the book, love, 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 like obsessed. And then I sent her my first edits and she's like, what? You didn't do any of them. And I was like, yes, I did. Like I checked every single one off the box. And she said that it felt very piecemeal. Like I went to, oh, she said, this scene needs work. Fix that. Oh, she said this. Oh. And it didn't, feel like it didn't feel like the characters. And I was like, oh, that's how I would think you would do it. Right. I was like, I see what, I, I, I was like, I see what you're saying, but I don't know how to fix that. Right. Uh, so, as someone that went to school for that, like I was taught that shit. um, It's about starting and finishing together. Right. Mm -hmm. So when you're going through, so I'm assuming you went in, found that scene, edit it, jumped out, went to the next scene. Exactly. That's what we do. That's why the notes were organized. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Okay. So as someone that learned this in school, they want you to go through slowly read see why it's not working fix the transition go back in and i bet that's annoying as hell for someone that didn't get that education <laughs> i was just i was just confused i was like i don't mind like, putting the in fuck? the work again but what what did i do wrong like what am i supposed to do so i literally Wait, just blindly got like, like outside catch me outside how about that <laughs> <laughs> literally i just like blindly do it again and send it having no idea if i did it right this time and she was like oh you really got it this was a million times better and i'm like yep totally changed my method um totally so i don't know but okay that's how it works letter fix letter fix nice that's how you ran it nice okay pants are structured pants when it comes to writing for world i had to do an outline because contract yeah because contract you're a pantser you did this you did luna park panting i know the beginning and the end and like you know the very important do you not see the panic on my face <laughs> See, I, 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 remember you, I remember you telling I, us that when we interviewed you I, I, in Annapolis. And I, I was I'm just like, so surprised. You're, you're just so level of research. You did so much research. It just reads organized. I'm so proud of you. I'm the least <laughs> a pantser human. that is terrible. I am a terrible pantser who doesn't Mommy, you have a map. It's a map. Um. Anyway, are you doing nano? I'm not. I was going to for like one day and then the second day I was like, nope, can't do it. <laughs> okay. Are you working on anything right now? Um, yes. Are you allowed to talk about it? I'm not not allowed, but there's not much to say. Um, <laughs> I think I mentioned to y'all I did I'm working on a middle grades, uh right. historical fiction in, ghost story. In April. Yeah, and that's pretty much pretty much done. But um, you still so did that to, you know, the agent and such. Um and then I wrote a manuscript that is completed that I'm actually really happy with. Well, I wrote two manuscripts, one that I was not really happy with and one that I am. Um, But the one that I am that I really do love, my editor won't read it because it takes place during World War II, which is oversaturated, according to Mm. every publisher. I mean, I mean, it is is is. a little oversaturated. But it also sells. So, right. 
I mean, women walking away is a genre. Women walking away is the genre. That's the genre right there. It's the genre. So I don't know. So that one's on a shelf until they decide. That I mean, it's I'll beta back it for you if you want. Until so I have some free time. I become the most like famous author in the universe, and then they'll publish anything I write. But yeah. assuming that won't happen anytime soon, I am waffling back and forth between. I hate that word. My mom said waffling. someone waffled once I, for like six years. I swore she made it up, and like I was like, that is not a thing. You do not waffle. That's not a verb. Is a delicious. Isn't it wavering? Thing. Is it wavering? It's, it's, it's it waffling is a real term. Waffling I looked it up and I was term. so mad. Yeah. I was so mad. That's weird. And now I just used it and I am ashamed. Anyway, I'm waffling between mm-hmm. going back to that one that I was not as happy about um, that I wrote before the World War II one, because looking back at it, I don't think it's as bad as I thought it was, and mm-hmm. writing something completely new, which takes place in, um, in not Ohio, but Iowa. <laughs> not Ohio. <laughs> not the same. <laughs> So, I'm just thinking, it seems like if kids thought that a state wasn't real, it would be Iowa. Like, Ohio, yeah. Ohio's, Ohio's a thing. I don't know anything about Iowa. I mean, I didn't think Idaho was real for years. I was like, you're telling me there's a state that just makes potatoes? I had Why? no idea that Chicago was in Illinois. I thought they were separate things because Chicago's Chicago and Illinois is just Illinois. Yeah. We're weird as kids. Didn't like, you tell us in Annapolis that you were in, you were thinking about writing something to do with female pilots because of your sister? Because of my sister. Yeah, uh, neither of the two that I am talking about now have any um, aspect of that. But you know, I'm, your sister was 10 pounds and had an arm that just went. <laughs> so, you know, you got to. And now she's so small that she needs like three pillows to reach the pedals in her plane. <laughs> That's hilarious. Okay, actually my, has to carry a pillow with her. It's my final writing food. question before we set you free. What is dead in your work in your graveyard, in your work in progress oh. graveyard? Yes. What is dead? Dead. What is buried? That I wrote. Well, everything I wrote in middle school and high school. There was this one really great one about a girl that gets kidnapped and then falls in love with her kidnapper because that's so. Um, that's Stockholm that? syndrome. That's yes. it. Stockholm yes. syndrome. But like, come on, Beauty and the Beast. Like, it's not my fault. Um, <laughs> so that was <laughs> not great. my fault. It happens. <laughs> I found a copy of that that I had emailed to a friend in sixth grade, and it was good for you. Special, beautiful. So that that's dead. That's very dead, and needs to be dead. Um, But seriously, the manuscript I wrote before the Light of Luna Park, which I actually did Mm -hmm. send out to some agents, um, and they said that one timeline was really strong, and the other not so much. Mm -hmm. And people have suggested since then that you know I go back and um, just redo the second timeline because the first one, but I don't even know at this point if I really love the first one that much. So I think it's just, what was it about? Wait a minute. Hold up. You had another book that you wrote in college before the light of Luna park. The semester before one semester, that one. Did you do college classes at all? Did you, did you go to class and learn the things? My husband, (laughs) your middle name. I need to middle name you. My husband was a biomedical engineering major at Yale. So, you know, their joke was that Vanderbilt education majors just color all day. And that was the extent of my classes. So the fact that I wrote two books during it doesn't just. I mean, I have an 80K dead in the water. Her husband's not a published author. (laughs) No. Last time I checked, that man is not. (laughs) Not on your bookshelf. Yeah, no. 
but no, he like, is in your, but he is kind of in our bookshelf because uh, you do thank him in one of them. You thank him, don't you? Oh, one you're looking at the dedication, seven. and he's going to be oh. so bitter about that. Yeah, he has not yet gotten a dedication. Um, but he's, he's in the acknowledgement. And Jack, he can get something. What book am I thinking of? <laughs> he's in the acknowledgements. He's in the acknowledgements for both. Oh, okay, of course. that's what it is. Jack, so what is Jack that? is like kind of Jorge plus PTSD. If Jorge had PTSD, that's solid and was so, at a bank or whatever Jack does. What yeah, was the premise of that first book that you're refusing to um, dig up? It was about the Titanic, but not people on the Titanic, male on the Titanic, because that's what <gasps> RMS stood for. It's a royal male ship. I know. When the Titanic sunk, like a ton, like as in we lost the unit. so much male. Yeah, there was so much male that is gone. And no one talks okay. about that. No one. Oh my god! Do you know how many pets died on the Titanic? You can't tell someone. Okay, I could talk about the Titanic and what happened on there for days. <laughs> days. Okay, you and I are going to talk about this you off pod because the Titanic and your Coast Guard and you rewrite it. <laughs> I you never it. knew. Oh, we could co-write it. It could like, be a co-writing. So fun. I've always wondered about co-writing, which is weird because I never liked group projects. They're the bane. Oh of my no, existence. co-writing's the best. But I learned. I learned. Yeah, about- but as a person that's in a group project project with Molly, I'll tell you, she actually does pull through. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we love you, Addison. I can't believe we have talked to you this long and made oh you stay gosh, with us. Yeah, it went fast. <laughs> You think so? Well, you think so? I just looked at the time and I was like, oh, Addison. <laughs> maybe, maybe when you publish the third one, you can come back since this was no big deal. <laughs> no, seriously, we're going to take the Titanic book and we're going to write a Coast Guard book and we're going to put them together. There we go. That's the dual timeline, the new one. First Coast Guard rescue swimmer. That could actually or first, work. Or a first woman surfman. Have you looked into the surfmen of the Coast Guard? Oh my God, they're wild. <laughs> They pat, they row boats out to rescue people. Literally, still today. Physically in really? rowboats. No yesterday, ships. Yesterday, Tom Surfing. showed, Tom showed uh, James a video of um, Coast Guard boarding a sub. Oh, the guy that bangs on it? Yeah. He, like, jumped on top of a sub and was like, stop, stop. <laughs> that guy's name is Charlie. He was a second class three times. Yeah, if you know the military, do that math later, guys. Right. Um, On that note, (laughs) Addison, thank you so much for coming back again. This was amazing. Please keep writing because it's the historical fiction I actually enjoy. So please seriously. I really hope you're not offended when I say that I don't enjoy historical fiction. My biggest issue is that I am such a stickler for like research, which is hilarious yeah. because some of my favorite books are, you know, Twilight. So. Twilight. But see, Twilight I mean, fully embraces the fact that it's based on no research whatsoever. So it's different. I mean, and we openly admit that Twilight is trash. You know what I mean? We right. love it because it is trash. But even the exactly. science within the Twilight world. Vampires don't have sperm, kids. They are not living beings. Glad I'm not the only one who wondered about that. Can't you we try to beat that dead horse a few times on this spot? There's a lot of dead horses we beat here. Hashtag not sponsored.
That's right. Not sponsored. Maybe someday. Um, <laughs> maybe maybe tell your fine friends at Penguin that we exist. <laughs> yeah, if, if they, you know, she's they, like they barely acknowledge me. <laughs> exactly. It's, you know, I'm small potatoes in the world. So, uh, well, we thank appreciate you, your time, Addison. Um, thank you so much. Hi, Luna Park. Um, her other her follow up book is The War Librarian. They're both really good. Do you have any signings or anything coming up soon? We can tell them to come see you. They can come see you, or like, do you have anything coming you know, up? We need I to do. promote. I had, I had something like go to her website. Yeah, go to my website. Addison's website. Addison's website. Her on social media, media, and you can see how she created her dress for the Taylor Swift concert. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it was awesome. Don't look at it um, up close because I'm not artistic. There are lots of smudges and missing, you know. Shut up. Missing letters. It was awesome. No, okay, so next week, besties, we are reading "Remarkably Bright Creatures" by Shelby uh. Van Pelt. Um, it's got an octopus in it. It's got an octopus in it. Who was voiced by the guy from Ugly Betty? I read the book. I did not read the audio, so I did not know that. Oh, yeah, I read the audio, too. The audiobook's adorable. We're wrapping out the month with this monster of a book at 500 pages, the fourth fourth wing. There's no the. Everybody and their mother is obsessed with it. Rebecca Yaris. And if you don't know about that book, I don't know what to tell you because Iron Flame, the sequel just where came the, out. Where the, if you don't know what that book is, where the fuck have you been for the last year and a half? I want to be able to get off the grid the way you are. <laughs> Seriously, tell me where you're hiding. Right. Because I desire to like take a nap. <laughs> All right. Addison, thank you again. Thank we'll see you, you next week, besties. Bye, besties. Bye. Thank you for joining us on Book Besties. Don't forget to like and subscribe. The views discussed here are those of Molly and April, not those of anyone else. Today's book was The Light of Luna Park by Addison Armstrong, who was our special guest. Your book besties are Molly Biggs and April Watkins, editing by Thomas Watkins, and music is Sleep Sweetly by Prigida. Don't forget to follow the book besties on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. If you'd like to contact the book besties, please email us at bookbestiespod at gmail.com or visit our website, bookbestiespodcast.com. Until next time, besties, get lost in your favorite book.